0: Welcome to this week's energy show. The solar industry has changed a tremendous amount over the last 20 years. So what do these changes mean for customers? And what do these changes mean for contractors and solar installers? On this show, we're going to kind of talk about where the industry is going to go over the next 10 years. I couldn't predict 20. I'm just going after 10. All right. So first, let's take a look at where the customer attitudes are. About solar at the present time, seventy-seven percent of adults prioritize alternative energy sources for the country, such as solar or wind, rather than fossil fuels. That's good, seventy-seven percent. Now, now let's look at solar penetration. Six percent of U.S. homeowners say they already have installed solar panels at home. To me, that sounds really high. I think there's a million solar roofs in California, thirty-five million single-family homes. So that it's more like three or four percent in California, the biggest state. But anyway, the consistency. Here we go. Forty-six percent of homeowners say they've given serious thought to adding solar panels on their homes in the past year. So let's take a look at what's motivating people. 87% of potential solar customers want to help the environment. That's pretty good. Yeah, 77% earlier want to prioritize alternative energy. But this is something that we learned long ago. 96% want to reduce their electric bills. So kind of looking at that 96% number, in essence, it means that only 4% of the people don't care about reducing their electric bill. So that's the biggest motivator. Secondly, helping the environment, definitely really good. Now, when it comes to helping the environment, that's where policy is important and we've got a lot of work to do there. So overall, over the last 20 years, costs have come down tremendously. Now, you're generating solar, that's cheaper electricity generation on a dollar per kilowatt basis. So It's so cheap to generate electricity from solar that even the electricities, who used to have coal and natural gas, are switching to solar. Also, the reliability of the solar equipment has gone up. I'm looking at some main components. Inverters used to have warranties of five years. Now, they're 12 or 25. Microinverters have 25-year warranties. Optimizers have 25-year warranties. The panels, solar panels, have kind of always been warranted for 25 years, and almost all of them will meet that goal. Even new manufacturers would, you know, maybe not really. Tried and true production facilities would warranty them for 25 years, but the process has gone pretty simple as far as manufacturing. And as long as they use quality materials and do a, a good manufacturing job, panels are going to last for 25 years. And the roof mounting systems have gotten so good that it's almost impossible to have a leak if the systems are put in properly. Now, in terms of safety, much safer for customers, much safer for installers. But overall, here's the qualification: the technology is a lot more complicated and involved than it ever was. It's kind of like a from a calculator to a cell phone computer. There's a lot of new capabilities in these systems, a lot of extra wiring. The storage, the monitoring, the home energy management systems are very complicated. So that's changed a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right. I took a look at, at what the major components are and how they've evolved over the last 20 years. You know, 20 years ago, the solar panels were 100 or 120 watts. And those old panels were 14% efficient, amorphous panels that were only 6% efficient. The panels had shiny frames, there was white back sheets. The wiring sometimes had to be done manually in flexible conduits. A pain in the neck. Now, all those things have changed. And the new panels are 300 to somewhere 450 watts. We're talking about the smaller panels for residential with 60 cells, not the bigger commercial ones. Efficiency is well over 20% right now for many panels. And they're all black. Manufacturers finally figured this out. Hats off to SunPower and BP Solar, which kind of said, hey, maybe people in the U.S. really want all black panels. And we did the same thing with our on lay panels back at a and Westinghouse. But now, most of them are all black. The frames are black. The back sheets are black. So it looks like the color of the roof. The wiring is a lot easier. And also, some of them are coming out with integrated electronics. In other words, the optimizers are built into the panels, or the microinverters are built into the panels. And that's really good, because not only do you get better performance, but you also can reduce the installation costs. In the future, I think the efficiency steadily creeping up. It doesn't take a big jump. I mean, it goes up a little bit every quarter or so. Pricing should be a lot lower than it is right now, but because of the tariffs and manufacturing issues, they're higher, and the, only in the U.S. But overseas, you can buy panels for like half the price. And they're going to be panels with more and more integrated electronics. So that's as far as the panels. Inverters. The old inverters. Boy, the standard 20 years ago was that the best inverter you can get had a 2,500-watt capacity. It was really simple to install. It only had three wires. Line one, two hots, line one and line two, and a ground. There wasn't even a neutral wire. Super easy to install, although they weighed 65 pounds, so it was like bench pressing a, a solid block of iron, so it usually took two people to put in. These older systems really had no built in monitoring. And although they were really good, they only had a five year warranty. So they were lasting 10 years or so. And I'm talking about the great old Sunny Boy inverters. That's kind of the best. They, they were the Cadillacs and the Mercedes at the time. The new inverters, pretty much, you know, for residential, it's 3,000 watts to 10,000 watts or more. And these inverters are much lighter. Commercial inverters, you can get, you know, kind of man portable inverters that are going to be modular over 100,000 watts. So 100 kilowatt inverters is pretty good. The monitoring in many of inverters is built in. You don't need separate components. Some of them have integrated cellular monitoring. Almost all of them have integrated Wi-Fi monitoring. So, you don't even need to run wires to the inverter, which can reduce costs. Kind of the standard warranty on inverters right now is 10 to 12 years. I kind of like to say, listen, the warranty is about half of what the expected life. So, if you've got a 10-year warranty... As long as you take care of the inverter and it's not getting really dusty, and it's not in a really, really hot location, a 10-year warranty, it's going to last 20. And the microinverter's 25-year warranties. the optimizer's 25-year warranties. Those things are just little packages of electronics. They just last and last and last. That's good. Now, in the future, also starting to happen now, but those inverters are going to be what I think is the hub of home energy management. The home's energy production machine, they're also the thing that has a good Wi-Fi or a good internet connection, and it kind of makes it a handy way for you to say, "All right, we're going to connect all of our appliances into that inverter or into a peripheral to the inverter, like a backup panel. All right batteries. Battery systems, boy, they've changed a lot. It used to be lead-acid, and there's still people that are selling the lead-acid batteries. They were a pain in the neck. It works really good for off-grid. I mean, obviously, it works good for cars, but they were tricky to put in. You needed a special enclosure. There was non-standard wiring. It was really hard to find UL-listed components. It was complicated to wire into a backup power inverter. You needed a special charge controller with special temperature sensors, and all my jeans had holes in them because you had to kind of top these things off with water, and you're, you know, Spritzing battery acid around every once in a while. The new systems, pretty much a complete changeover, at least for residential and commercial, to lithium ion. They're more expensive, but they last a lot longer. They're really and they're lighter. So they're they're kind of designed for cycling. And the cost reduction is pretty much driven by what's going on in the auto industry. These new batteries are not just batteries, they're integrated battery management systems. So the manufacturers have taken the electronics that control the batteries and put it into the battery c- enclosure. And they're designed to connect into new inverters and give you capabilities like easy time shift of your energies. Instead of selling power back to the utility during the day when you're generating it at $0.16 a kilowatt hour, you can store that and then use that power at $0.50 a kilowatt hour or more at night, so you get big savings. These new systems, when they have the right inverters, have really good backup power capabilities. In the future, the pricing of the battery systems are going to come down a lot. They're not quite that cheap yet, but because of the auto industry mass production, we're going to see that come down. Now, mounting systems. Now, we're getting into some boring, mundane things. It used to be extruded aluminum racking on the roof. L-feet were kind of lagged down directly to the roof surface with some sealant or adhesive. And if these weren't done exactly right, sometimes you had leaks, especially over the years. The new mounting systems, all right, hate to say it, we're still using extruded aluminum racking some of the exact same racking profiles as I used almost 20 years ago but the standard in the industry is to use flashings to almost completely eliminate leaks i've never seen a leak on a flash system if the flashings were put in properly it just doesn't happen so that's really good for customers to know there's a lot of integrated racking and rackless systems so you don't need racking it hasn't really taken off in the market yet because the co- the installers are saying gee this is taking me a little bit more time sometimes but it really does simplify the logistics As far as the future of mounting systems, I'm not really sure. It's really going to be dependent on the types of roofs that are being installed. All right, solar monitoring. If you really wanted monitoring 15 or 20 years ago, you had to get a separate monitoring device. I remember wiring up from my Sunny Boy inverter a little RS-45 card with telephone wire that was going into the serial port of my PC. It was... Kind of tricky to do, hard to wire up. The software wasn't that refined. And the communications weren't that great. Inverter companies kind of then went through cycles of using Wi Fi and, and Zigbee and things like that. But it's pretty much settled down to rather well, new monitoring systems are integrated in the inverter. So the inverters have their own Wi Fi hotspot. That's great. Generally, they'll communicate up to the internet. So you can look at the performance of your system on an app that's on your cell phone. And you can also monitor much more than solar. It's monitoring the battery system. It can monitor your EV charger. In the future, there's a lot more we can monitor. All right. I'm a stickler for safety. Let's talk about that. Safety requirements. There was really the only safety requirement was that the system wouldn't backfeed the grid. And you had to follow standard wiring practices. Now, because of you know just being more careful about it, there's some extra safety requirements in terms of of automatic high voltage shutdown. And then smart installers are are really carefully following the OSHA safety practices, where you always have your workers on the roof tied in and they're always wearing the proper protective equipment. A lot of companies don't use it, but I think the right thing to do for a solar contractor is to make sure you have permanent anchors in the roof Everybody on the roof is tied down. Okay, so for a solar power system or home energy system of the future, here's what you're going to get. Now, talking about solar, you're going to get high efficiency panels on the roof. You know the standards are over 20%, 20 percent, 20, 22 percent. That's going to creep up very slowly. I think the maximum theoretical efficiency for silicon cells is around 25 or 26 percent. Can't get higher than that. And there may be some materials that are going to get us a little bit higher, but then you know I'm not quite sure they're going to last as long so you know we're getting up to kind of the maximum now what's also going to change is the panels are going to have more integrated electronics optimizers or micro-inverters. And I've been a big fan of this for a long, long time because you just it just reduces the work that needs to get done on site. And theoretically, if all this can be manufactured in the box, it makes it a lot easier for the contractor and reduces costs. The inverter. Yeah, you're still going to have an inverter hanging on the wall. There's going to be this electronics box that's that's got to be accessible and it's got to have the battery connected into it. It's going to have the solar panels connected into it. It's got integrated monitoring and it also has connected to the home's electrical panel. In some way, there's going to be more connections, too, because there's going to generally be a backup subpanel for your critical loads, or we're going to start to see circuit breaker panels that are going to have smart electronics built in so that these circuit breakers can intelligently turn appliances on or off, depending on what's needed. And it's also possible that those controls could happen at the appliance itself. So we'll talk about that more in another show. You're also going to have, obviously, this is really important, and this is why the inverter is ideally positioned to be kind of the hub of the home energy management because it's got communications It's going to basically be the gateway between the home appliances because it's everything's connected electrically and also to the internet which once it's up on the internet you've got some capabilities to automatically adjust things to electric rates and blackouts and things like that and it's on the internet you can control things from your cell phone Right, so what are the benefits? Why are we going to do this? It's not just technology for technology's sake. You're able to better manage your solar system, your battery, the appliances that you're using to maximize your savings. And I'm not just talking about your regular appliances. We're also talking about integrating things like your HVAC and even your car. So some examples. The ideal thing is because the way electric rates are evolving. Electric rates are going to be cheapest during the day because that's when there's a lot of utility scale solar. The electric rates are most expensive in the late afternoon and evening when there's a peak of demand and not a lot of utility solar. So, what you can do, and this is what we're routinely doing for our customers here in Silicon Valley right now, is we charge the battery during midday when the electric rates are cheap. I mean, we could also, our customers could also net meter that, run the meter backwards, but why run the meter backwards at 16 cents a kilowatt hour when you can actually be saving that energy? And then avoid using electricity, which is going to cost you $0.50 a kilowatt hour in the evening when you're home and when it's dark, when you're cooking, when you're kind of heating up the house. So the ideal thing is charge the battery during the day from solar, and then discharge the battery at night when rates are high. Now, it's also kind of, it's going to get to the point where you're going to say, well, hey, maybe I'm even going to be charging my battery from cheap electricity from the grid and then using it at night. That's another option, and we'll see how that evolves. Utilities generally don't like that because you're cutting into their profits, but, you know. They're charging a lot of money for electricity, and now there's technology that makes it easier and cheaper to do it a different way. All right. These systems are going to coordinate with the biggest home energy users, which when I kind of look at an all-electric home, an all-electric family, the biggest energy users are your heating and air conditioning and also your electric vehicle. Now specifically as far as your heating and air conditioning, the solar system and the battery is going to be able to coordinate with your thermostat with the Nest thermostat or something else smart like that. It's also going to be able to operate home appliances to maximize your savings. Now, we're moving towards away from natural gas here in California towards all electric hot water heating and the best way to do that is with a heat pump. So these solar systems are going to be able to say or these these energy management systems are going to be able to say, "All right, let's just heat heat up the hot water when we have a lot of excess electricity, or let's heat the hot water up in the middle of the night from the grid or from the battery, that's when that it's most cost-effective. So we have hot water ready to go in the morning, or maybe you know your family's operating under a different mode. You want that hot water later in the day, evening. So you're going to be able to operate appliances to maximize your savings and your convenience. And we're already seeing how that works with setback thermostats. Let's just take it a few steps further to other things in the house. Optimizing your car charging. You know, my inverter has a car charger built into it. I have an easy-to-use app, so when I come home, I plug in the, the car charger. I'm I might get home at 7 or 7.30 at night and kind of work late. But I don't want to charge my car at 7 o'clock at night because that's when the electricity rates are highest. 11 o'clock at night, the electricity rates go down to, to, to like 13 or 14 cents. So my car charger automatically starts charging the car only when rates are really cheap. Taking it one step further, we're not quite there yet, but we're going to have this whole concept of vehicle-to-grid where you can actually use that big battery in your electric car. I mean, that thing's just... You know, it's like a huge battery on wheels and you can use that battery to power your house at night. And then maybe you plug into your office during the day when there's cheap electricity from solar system that's at your office or cheap electricity from the grid because there's a lot of solar on there. So this is a concept called vehicle to grid and that's using the car's battery as kind of an extra way of saving for customers and also one step further. If there's a shortage of electricity on the grid or God forbid there's another blackout you've got a big battery sitting in your car, wouldn't it be great to plug in your EV and say, all right, the power's out. I have solar during the day, but I'm running kind of low at night. Let me use the excess energy in the car's battery. These batteries are, you know, Tesla batteries are, you know, 85 or 100 kilowatt hours. Let's use that battery to power the house at night. Maybe you're not going to run the whole house, but you're going to run your critical loads. This is something that's really going to happen. But one big impediment makes so total logic in every regard, except for one thing. Your car manufacturer is responsible for the warranty on that battery. And they basically say, hey, you know, we're gonna put a battery into the car that's designed to to last for 100,000 miles, 10 years, whatever number they want to use. It's kind of like the engine or the powertrain. And they're not gonna want you to use that battery for things other than moving the car around. Now, eventually, manufacturers are going to change, and I hear that Nissan is one of the more farsighted companies that is coming out with a way for you to do this vehicle to grid. Other manufacturers are going to do the same thing, and that's got a lot of potential for the future. Now, all these changes are going to mean that your solar contractor, solar installers, are going to have to expand their skill set. We're no longer just mounting solar panels on the roof, running conduit down to the electrical panel, hanging an inverter on the wall, running a few wires there, turning the thing on, filling out the paperwork, don't forget the paperwork, and going home. It's no longer just hanging equipment. We now need IT skills and a lot of communication wiring skills, because these systems... There may be uh, cabling, the Cat5 cabling, internet cabling, that goes between the battery and the inverter, and the inverter and the house, and maybe between the inverter and a backup panel or a battery control system. So running these little wires is not the kind of thing that your average solar contractor on the roof is accustomed to. And then you have to configure these things. So there's, you know, in some cases I've installed some of these systems where there's like three different uh, IT passwords to access the Wi-Fi controls within the different components on these systems. It gets kind of complicated. I need three different passwords just to kind of get the system activated. So those are skills that are going to have to be adopted by contractors. And most importantly, this is one of the things that's just kind of hitting on the solar and the battery storage industry. These systems are so complicated that they're going to need ongoing customer support. When you look at having a battery backup system in your house, or you're going to start controlling your energy management system, these systems are going to require a little bit of babysitting. There might be a blackout coming out in the system, and you're going to want to have your solar contractor or your system be able to anticipate when that blackout's going to happen. There's a PG&E announcement, public safety power shutoff. There's going to have to be some work that's done, or you may change the appliances in your house or add a heat pump hvac system and all these things are going to require a little bit of support so it's not just the hardware but it's the inevitable energy management system changes that are going to be part of these solar and energy storage systems of the future now it's not just for the contractors i mean it's also for the manufacturers you're going to want to have these systems automatically reprogram themselves when electric rates change you're going to want to have these systems automatically Change the backup interval or the level of backup energy in the battery when there's a public safety power shutoff announcement. This is something that we do manually for customers, but that's going to have to be auto- automatic. You're going to want to run your hot water heater, heat pump hot water heater, at night during off peak rates or during the midday when the electricity is expensive and maybe only an exceptionally when the rates are high. Maybe you have visitors over and they may want to take a shower or something at six o'clock in the evening before dinner. There's different change things. You know, kind of taking even a few steps. Further, the utility's going to want to contract with customers. They're already starting to doing this for what's called a virtual power plane. For grid support services, that's where the batteries in these homes are basically there. Obviously, for the customer's benefit, for maybe a few times a year, once in a while, the utility is going to say, hey, can we borrow half of the capacity in your battery because there's a shortage of electricity. We're going to pay you a lot of money for it, but they're going to want to be able to integrate with that. And, and you know, obviously, you know, sometimes a customer is going to say, all right, well, you know, I didn't have an EV when I put the system in, but now I have an EV, so you, I want you to program the inverter for these vehicle-to-grid capabilities. So it's really, it's tough to predict the future. I mean, Yogi Bear said, basically, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future, but it's really clear what's happening. We've got lots of capabilities. We have a global industry with a global supply chain. This is not a solar industry that's just you know, one country at a time, even a really big one like the U.S. or China. It's all over the world. More and more complexity, more and more component integration, and then you know the benefit is more energy savings capabilities for businesses and homeowners. So what does this mean for customers? Fundamentally, we're not just talking about generating solar energy during the day. Yes, we're going to keep doing that, but now we're going to be using that energy cleverly throughout the day. The solar system is going to be the hub of energy management. Heck, I remember you know, Enphase was very far-sighted in this. Like 10 years ago, they started to do this. They weren't able to get a lot of traction with their Environ and thermostat and things like that, but that's going to change. The other companies like SolarEdge are starting to do that in addition to Enphase. I'd suggest that you select products and manufacturers that you install in your house based on these future capabilities and based on the company's ability to deliver right now on those capabilities, not just what they're going to do, but what they've been doing. And what that means is I think it's very important to be looking at equipment that has software and communications capabilities that we're going to need in the future. Bottom line, you're going to want to make sure that you're working with contractors and installers that can provide the ongoing support since your system's going to be much more complicated than it was before. All right, that's all the time we have on this week's energy show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast.